Yeah, well, Jane sorry I was late, Lawrence. guys. You know, I, I have been put on a few no-fly lists, so I have been hitchhiking uh, back to Los Angeles to do to do the podcast. Uh, 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 oh, oh, uh, unrelated, yeah, unrelated to anything. It's, Griffin was at the Capitol uh, trying to go to the uh, the Native American History Museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was trying to see the, the, the air and space. Air and oh, isn't space. that one of them? Yeah, that's the one that every. That's like the main one. Like that's like I think the one that is like the most regular field trip. I try to get some of that air and bring it back home to good old California because we're out of air. No more air in, in L.A. It's actually beautiful. We're, we're in a post-oxygen society. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Uh, every video of L.A. is just people with fish bowls on their heads walking around uh, mm-hmm. trying to live life without breathing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an improvement. Yeah. Yeah. From what we were doing before. I mean, it's a lot quieter, which is nice. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it totally is. It totally is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, well here's here the thing. we are. Here's the thing. Here's the <laughs> thing we have to talk about to start with is sure. that Sheldon Adelson is fucking dead. That I know. I'm feeling is, off today. He is a corpse and it rules. Listen, like I, I did a little wiki search on Sheldon just to be like, how did my man? How did my hero become the 28th richest person in the world? And, you know, he he really did pull himself up from his bootstraps. He made a lot of money off a de-icer of windows. Get the frost off your car. <laughs> Um, and then he just, he started, he invested in charter tours. So, you know, he's just, um, he's a man of the people. He came from the bottom and uh, now he's here. And he got the real money when Guinea showed up and gave him that big check for the record for saggiest face. Mm -hmm. And they said, you have the saggiest face anyone will ever have. There's, it's impossible. Mm -hmm. You've reached, you have reached the full slider on face sag in the human creation process. And, Mm -hmm. uh, here's your check. And he just turned that around. The Guinness World record for most melted candle yeah uh because i my i don't know how he died all i've seen is that he died i'm assuming what happened is that his jowls just pulled the front of his face off and then his brain fell out mm-hmm. yeah i like to think it was one of those like he was on like the the old like stair chair from gremlins you know that one <laughs> the chair that goes down the stairs <laughs> yeah the, the at-home elevator I've always dreamed of. Mm-hmm. And it just it just fried and he, was, he just got just up and down it till, till he was shaken to death. Do you have it's, a, it's what I pray happened? Forrest, our guest for today, do you have a good guess as to how Sheldon Adelson died? Uh, mm-hmm. Probably heart disease, right? By the numbers. Are we are we doing bits or do we want that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Usually yeah, bits, uh, but that's a good answer. So. <laughs> two bits and some science. Hey. <laughs> Little bit of science, two bits. It's like a shave and a haircut mm-hmm. joke. Um, mm-hmm. We're here. Yeah, we're doing and, you know, it. he was the biggest donator, not only to the Trump campaign, but also to the Game Boys <laughs> podcast. So we are, our business model so has been forever changed. We are floundering. <laughs> we are in big trouble. Listen, people complain about big tech, but what about when your big daddy dies? Yeah, the repo men are <laughs> knocking at the door saying we need those microphones back now that Sheldon's dead. Um, oh, man, you know, uh, I, you know, I, I want to get I want to get capital takes, but I heard something even more threatening to our democracy. And that's the fact that Forrest thinks Borderlands 3 is a good game, which is a great way to introduce the podcast you're listening to. Game Boys, a <laughs> podcast about video games with me, Lux, and also and me, Griffin and Joy with uh, our guest Forrest and also our producer Haley. That's Haley is the name he said. It's it's actually, well, we've been mispronouncing it for two years. Oh, wow. Awkward, I know. Very uncomfortable. 
um, <laughs> for many reasons. But uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're here. It's a new week. Uh, no, no plan. So we just had to, when there's the note, when there's no plan and we're just doing live reaction to gamer culture, we just, we, we have on one of our VIPs. So Forrest, hey, welcome back. Uh, am I, am I being grilled yeah. now? Now you're being okay. grilled. Yeah, now we can get into the stuff about Borderlands because there's other stuff I want to talk to you about, but you uh, you opened a true can of worms. Uh, it was, this is like an official Griffin. It was position. twenty bucks on PS4, <laughs> so I downloaded it. And it's like a it's like a game where you shoot people, and it's like Diablo. In fact, it's very like Diablo, even more like Diablo than ever. Uh, all those games were on sale, and I have a lot of time and not a lot of stuff to do right now, so I just played through all four Borderlands mm-hmm. games in a row. Uh, they're yeah. uh, they're stupid. They're they're real stupid. Uh, but no, no, you shoot things and it's fine. Uh, I I like the Diablo-y mm-hmm. stuff, but like now it's very funny. In the in the, I I have no idea how much of those games you have played. It sounds like Griffin has played and hates the third one. Yes, is that what's happening? No, no, I I haven't played the third one. I've played the other ones <laughs> leading up to it. Um. <laughs> Wait, so Griffin, you and I have played the exact same amount of Borderlands in theory, which is say one and two, not three. And you have notes on three. Yeah, I do have. Well, I just know it's going to be exactly the same. They haven't changed anything. They're just like more guns does not mean good game. Like I, I there's much better shooter games that have six guns. <laughs> Um, but uh, hey, six guns uh, in society. Am I right? That's a mm-hmm, book. That's a yeah. book. Uh, and then also, I don't know. I just feel like a game where a game that's like so. Well, maybe Borderlands Three is about to make a comeback because it does feel like the most like mid two thousands style and humor uh, that I've ever seen. It, it's like firmly placed in the culture of like a two thousand six. Yes, but so for what it's worth, having just played all of them in a row, uh, they I think it's pretty clear they like move forward in quality. One, two. Uh, pre-sequel and three in order. Uh, pre-sequel is weird too because it's made by an Australian dev team, so it's very different from all the other ones. Uh, that you can really see their evolution along the course of these games. That it went from just like pee pee poo poo potty humor and like edge lord shit. That now by the third game they're like mm-hmm. actively trying to be like I guess quote unquote diverse. Like they're they're certainly <laughs> trying to like align with what we would like them to align with in a lot of ways, and it's an, mm-hmm. it's interesting to see them like uh, yes, somewhat flail with it, but like they really they really do seem to uh, seem to have had second thoughts about like the stuff from, the, from especially the first couple of games that was extremely cringe inducing to say the least. Uh, mm-hmm. So that that's been, mm-hmm. I guess, nice to see. Uh, certainly weird. The weirdest part of that, that game series is probably that there's like there's a Telltale game series of adventures. There's like another game called Tales of Borderlands that I have not played because it is Telltale Games. Uh, yes. But apparently it is yeah. not just in canon, but like aggressively in canon. Like they kind of expect you to know the stuff that happened in, the, in that game. It's the. It's the Kingdom Hearts delivery system. I, oh. I think it is. You know what? I can respect that sort of uh, that sort of self-serving madness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, another big question I had was, OK, Borderlands 1, it's a gun to the head. Borderlands 2, it's two guns to the head. Borderlands 3, they they just totally they lost the thread. They didn't know <laughs> how to bring a third yeah. gun in there. I was thinking, what if his dick was the third gun and he was doing like a self suck? Oh. That's oh, how you that's, get the third that, one in did, there. Did that, did that uh, bandit have two ribs taken out? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, there, there's something about the looter shooter that is fu- that is 
kind of fun, but I don't know. It, it, it's, it's, it's heralded as one of the best like co-op games you can play with people. And I just never had that much fun playing, playing with people on it. Um, but Hey, listen, the fact that you paid $20 for it, it's more Borderlands three is a $20 video game. Yeah. So I think that's really the Q zone for that. Yeah. I mean, it's always, we talk about this a bunch, but like there is a certain degree to which gaming in order to think about it in any kind of meaningful economic way, you sort of have to tie price to like to joy in a way that is like kind of gross, but it is true. Like, a game that's not that good, but is like a fun way to kill 20 hours that you pay $20 for is like a good use of your money. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of killing 20 hours, guys, let's look at the capital for a second. <laughs> um, you know, it's 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 I was looking at a lot of these people and I was just saying, like, these people need video games like <laughs> how many of these people would have been here if they couldn't be like grinding out their battle pass right now like i do i do see this again is like there you know people talk about impeachment the 25th amendment how about we airdrop some consoles just distract these people because you're not going to change any of these people's minds right you're not going to like facts logic and reason them but you can give them like a shiny I've new said thing it before and i'll say it again the new stimulus package should include a next generation console for each household Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, just to fight fascism, making a making a sort of a sort of putting a Griffin spin on the materialist argument about living about like sort of social conditions. It's like <laughs> some would say that providing health care and sort of social safety net to everyone would sort of reduce the degree to which people distrust and take action against the government. Griffin, he says, no, 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 it's <laughs> give them a PlayStation. <laughs> Well, I think that I think gaming would be wrapped into healthcare. Okay. It's, oh, right. it's under the umbrella. In in a re, in a real true uh, what Tim Faust would call health justice society, <laughs> uh, <laughs> everyone would have access to gaming. I, I, mm-hmm. Yeah, or or and be sentenced to gaming. I do love the idea that okay. uh, that gamers are less right wing radical than the rest of society. Is that the thesis here? <laughs> yeah, I was no, going to get no. to that in a second. <laughs> No, I, I am, I'm saying that it is it is purely a place for a certain amount of people with odious views to like pour their <laughs> attention into. And I'm not saying that like gaming will necessarily fix everyone, but it certainly won't have them, uh, you know, uh, committing federal crimes. IRL. You'd rather have them shit posting on a forum or something that are like like yelling into voice chat. Yes, exactly. I'd rather like all of them be claiming about like be complaining about like Abby's muscles in The Last of Us 2 as opposed to like whatever. Stop. I mean, I don't let's not stop the steal. Let's stop the Druckmann. How about that? (laughs) Yeah. Stop the drug. Um, Yeah. Stop the drug. This makes me upset because I should have thought of this before because we really could have done a great segment where you just pulled up pictures of the Capitol rioters and guessed their favorite games. Mm. <laughs> oh, that is uh, a good segment. Someone made an RPG sort of cast of like which class you could pick. It's like, yeah, the, <laughs> the the guy, you know, who was like on Nancy Pelosi's desk with the letters is sort of like a spy. Uh, <laughs> classic the, classic rogue. The the sort of old sort of weird kind of like hillbilly grandma lady. She's uh she's like the the witch or the or the crone class um you know there's a lot of good classes out there uh, there's a wide variety of of people too and and one thing i notice is like if you look at the capital like a, like a circle and they have all the crowds surrounding it like each circle had like the cl- the deeper in or the deeper into the capital you get like the the crazier your your views are so it's like the people on the outer rim like have heard of q and like sometimes read a q post but like the people at the center are like the ultimate q believers right 
Uh, can I interject and say that the people in the Outer Rim have have heard of Q? A few years ago, I would have been sure that was either about Star Trek or Star Wars, and yeah. I'm really sad that that's not. <laughs> yeah, damn. That is grim. Um, I think you're basically right. I mean, that's true of, like, almost any protest, but also it's a very video gamey structure. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Where... Uh, Layers where there's layers and you're sort of moving from one boss <laughs> yeah, fight to another. It's a rogue. It's a roguelike. <laughs> yeah. The boss is in the middle. Did you? Um, <laughs> this is actually interesting. Did you see the that a video game designer wrote a piece about how QAnon is a video game? Okay, no, I didn't. But I was that was my next thing. Was like, what if Q got into gaming somehow? Like, I, we just need to shift the focus. Yeah. Well, I think that's that's an interesting thing to say because because so the argument that this uh, that this article puts forward basically is that. In game design, specifically like ARG or escape room games, which is also true in video games, is this thing called, I think, accidental paraphenia or whatever. And the idea is that people see stuff and because it's a game, interpret it to be intentional and meaningful in a way that it's not necessarily. The the example the guy gives is like an escape room where he accidentally left some pieces of paper on the ground and they shaped an arrow that pointed at the wall and there were tools in the room and people tried to use the tools to break the wall down before he like rushed in and was like, no, 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 mm-hmm. no, 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 no. Like yeah. there was a different hint, but people like put you together in their heads. And a lot of game design mm-hmm. is about using that intentionally and avoiding the accidental version. Um, and what QAnon does basically is has people find those things. And the crazier they are, the more you get elevated. So it's like a video game in that it's like an inverted video game that the idea is actually to generate that kind of paraphernalia and get people to like make these connections and make these jumps and that they get rewarded the more and more jumps that they make and the crazier they are, the more that they get picked up by other folks. And so I think right. that QAnon does translate to a video game like in its base, because I think that that argument makes a lot of sense to me. And so I think you're right that you could have like the QAnon video game where it's like you're at the Capitol. What do you see? Oh, a secret passage to where the Democrats harvest the kids. Like it's like you could have like you, you, you receive like a Metal Gear Solid <laughs> um, sort of radio call from Lauren Boebert. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> look left or look right. Look left. Ooh, you failed that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like I think that's like a real it's like a real thing. And I think we're seeing a lot of like the implications of this in in how the people behave and how disparate they are, because it's clear that like one thing I've noticed is that like you could take 10 Q people and none of them have the same mythology of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, that they've all like custom tailored the Q conspiracy to their own framework. And that just feels like fucking like playing Mass Effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's that, just to that point, you know, I mean, early on when they, everyone's became Qified and Q pilled was on sort of like Facebook. <laughs> and then Facebook said, you can't, you can't talk about Q anymore. And they started disbanding lots of these Q groups. And that's sort of when these Q people went from like the tutorial zone to like the open world RPG where they're sort of been like released onto the world finally. Like they learned the mechanics of the game like online, but now they are like doing this like open world RPG and sort of doing their own story. Um, and, and especially now is like, you know, all these people are getting removed from all these platforms and banned from from basically any platform like where where do they go and like they're going to be confronted even less with contrary opinions because they're not even allowed on any of the sites anymore so like do you guys think that this stuff will uh will get worse because they don't have a a place to be online or do you think that it, it will get better and that they'll just like what give up on using the internet um 
so okay i have a few thoughts about this uh and forrest feel to jump in whenever but this is something that i've been arguing with uh, our friend josh sklar about a bunch lately um like they i don't think it's going to make things substantially better i think that there's a substantive and significant distinction uh that glenn greenwald actually draws as much as i like to shit on glenn greenwald uh, as much as I like to donate five dollars a month to him. Yeah. So that's one of our our classic tensions. But uh, I think he's been <laughs> dumb and bad lately, although I think yesterday he had a really good observation that I think people weren't paying enough attention to, which is that there's a substantive difference between banning Trump from Twitter and banning Parler from Amazon Web Services. Totally. There's a meaningful distinction between can, between saying you have to follow the rules on our website versus we have access to a specific utility. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to have it. Right. And yeah. now, obviously, on a sort of legal private industry claims, those aren't aren't substantively different in that way. But on a sort of like ethical or like free speech level, I think they are significant as a distinction. And I don't think that the sort of free speech implications of banning parlor. Are. Like, I think that banning parlor doesn't do enough to justify the free speech implications. Like, I think you're right. I don't think that. If they had banned Parler three months ago, I might have a different feeling about this. But all the dangerous planning shit that was going to happen on Parler already happened on Parler and has moved. And to also like, already happened on Twitter and Facebook as well. Totally. It, it's and very has, it's very funny. Like you can find all this shit there, too. Yeah. Um, and, has you moved, know. and has since moved to like Telegram and Discord. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which are like encrypted things that handle this stuff very differently. Um, and so I think that while I understand the impulse to get Parler off AWS, whatever, um, uh, and and the fact that the AWS choice appears to have been driven largely by internal worker support for doing it is something that I think is cool. But uh, at the end of the day, I think that the amount that it actually helps is pretty negligible. And the precedent it sets for theoretical control over sort of the gas of the Internet, which is server space, is potentially distressing. Mm-hmm. Forrest, what do you think? Huh. Um I kind of feel like not giving these guys places to meet up and have their stuff be uh, like reified and and backed up by each other is probably for the best. I think the main thing that helps these things get traction is just the ability to find each other and like it like insulate themselves from other news sources. I mean, I think all of it's dancing around the real way to deal with this, which is that everyone else just has to kind of collectively repudiate this. Like if everyone they meet out in the world is like, that's stupid and hurtful and wrong. Like what is wrong with you? That goes a really long way to be like, to make, to push them off of this stuff. Because the reality is that you can't like it. It's, you can't stop them from meeting up and talking about it. You know, they're going to get their discords. So they're going to just like do it, get, you know, go on signal, even if it takes, if that's what it takes, they're going to mm-hmm. do this shit. Uh, I think having like, I mean, not having homeboy in the white house is going to be a big step towards taking this apart. And I don't think it's going to fully come apart because it never does, you know, like doomsday cults missing their doomsday. Never. They never go away because of that, but they do oftentimes kind of peter out over a long term. And like I said, I, th- I think it's all like uh, setting aside uh, Lux, what you were saying about the, the ethicality and the like, you know, the, the, the censorship nature of it. I think it's the the greater social movement of just saying like, no, we all think this is wrong and bad. Like it points to that. And I think that's the more important thing, right? Like it yeah. needs to it needs to not they need to not be able to go on to like 
whatever news network and have their guys be like, well, you think that Democrats aren't drinking blood, but, you know, we think they do. Uh, and that, that's if this may or may not be like an inevitable outcome of news networks and the media more generally finally kind of going like, OK, you know what? We've had about enough of this. But uh, I think it's the more important part that like the the overall culture needs to tell them, like, actually, fuck off. Right. And so. I think I 100% agree. The the reason it becomes dicey is because of a little thing we all hate called neoliberalism, baby. Because <laughs> uh, the thing is that neoliberalism basically makes the argument that your ethical choices are played out by your economic choices, that your that your ethics are, are displayed through economic choice. And that economic choice sort of is like the way that we choose and resolve sort of ethical and social issues. Um, and... The problem with that is that it puts the onus for repudiation that you're talking about onto private companies, um, private companies that are obviously like we've seen all week are unregulated in certain kinds of ways. And so you're right that a broader social movement to repudiate sort of Nazis being bad is probably is definitely the, the good thing. The problem is that that manifests as an economic situation like kicking parlor off AWS because that's where the power actually is. And that means that in future iterations of these kind of issues, like if, you know, left like BLM stuff, those same companies have that same power because that's sort of culturally where we've situated the power to deal with this kind of stuff. And so Mm -hmm. it's nerve wracking to see them flex that power. Although I think you're right that it is an expression of a cultural shift that is good. Um, Yeah. I mean, no one has lost more than me because I was tweeting and going viral on Parler um, from an account called at real John Voight, where I was talking about my memories behind the scenes on the set of Anaconda. And uh, I was having a great time doing that for a couple months and I was really connecting with a lot of people. So I do feel like I something has been taken personally from me. Uh, But in the larger scheme of things, guys, like aside from like all the very smart details uh, that you guys are mentioning, I mean, let's let's take some of these people who are following down this right-wing neo-Nazi wormhole, sure, a lot of them are, their minds are never going to be changed, right? Um, But, you know, if we take literally all of them, we shove them somewhere where they can't see anyone else, like, are their views ever going to be able to be changed if they can't access any of the websites that would change their minds with different takes? It just seems to me that the more that we alienate and isolate these people, the more that we hypercharge um, this radicalization and this hatred for everyone else, if they're not even allowed to experience anyone else. Right. I mean, the argument is it's a trade off, right? The argument is, does localizing this group to like an isolated digital space where they'll feed off each other and get worse, is that better than leaving them in a way where they like, is the risk of them indoctrinating a sufficiently large number of people through these spaces worth risking in a world where it also risks them being fixed? Or is it better to sort of cordon off the problem? And I think there are arguments in both directions. Um, Mm -hmm. But it is like fundamentally a trade off in that respect. I think you're right that like, I mean, one one of my times that I've gotten to be on television uh, was the time I got into an argument with MAGA guys at a protest in the Texas Capitol and got them to throw their hats in the garbage. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And like that was a cool moment and a cool like thing that happened that was neato. Um, But like that doesn't happen most of the time. So it's hard to say like what the real best outcome Mm -hmm. is in that respect. Um, I, think oh, well, you're, I, I think they, I don't think your concern is misplaced. I think that's a real thing that's totally possible. I mean, because yeah, listen, like I, I even on Twitch, you know, like I have a few probably what I would assume are like 15 year old mag kids, right? And and they like to come into my chat because I don't like immediately tell them that they're fucking racist and they need to go fucking make their bed or whatever and like apologize to everyone online. Like uh, you know, I'm unapologetically unapologetically leftist in my views, but I think that they would never get to hear my views if I instantly banned them for like 
like being a 15 year old that like writes MAGA in my chat or something. So that just there's got to be not most of these people's minds can't be changed, but a few of them can. And they're not worth giving up on. Yeah, the, or they're worth not giving up on is the, what I should say. The other flip to that that I will throw out there is that um, these people don't give a shit or like think about things at all, uh, as evidenced by like the 1984 stuff. Um, cause a bunch of people like incorrectly the Wonder cite- Woman movie. No, the, the actual one. I know. Um, <laughs> man, I just watched that for work. That movie sucks. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. that movie's trash. Um, sorry. Um, but the act, like the way that they're posted in 1984 displays a, they've never read the book and do not know what it's about. Um, and B, that they don't know how hashtags work, um, which is less relevant. The, the, <laughs> which but, was explained in the book. Yeah, that's chapter one. <laughs> um, <laughs> chapter one, the hashtag. But um, mm-hmm. but it's 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 very strange because they clearly haven't read the book. They don't understand what the book's about. And so it's to me, you get to leftist ideas largely either by having leftist friends who bug you a bunch or by like confronting and running, coming across an article or two that sparks your interest in looking into things. Um, these people don't do that. The second thing, the first thing, potentially, but the second thing they just but don't they, do. But if they're prevented from ever experiencing that article, that's the issue I'm talking about. And then largely outside of that, like, OK, so I, I parlor being taken down. Like, I literally think that like none of these companies had to take parlor down. Like parlor was like renting two servers like they're they're like putting amount of servers in as I do for rust. Like the website was crashing the second that anyone in like a large number tried to use it. And I literally just think that like the problem would have taken care of itself the second people tried to migrate over because like the algorithm was crashing, the feeds were breaking like they did. They literally weren't real competition to Twitter or anything like that. Um, And it is it is unsettling to see, you know, all of the giant tech work in unison to to shut places down. And and let me be real, like the people who are suffering right now are neo-Nazis and should be ridiculed, made fun of and like very little empathy given to any of them. Like, fuck those guys. But like this giant gun, this censorship gun, as we've seen in the past, can easily be turned on the left, can easily be turned on a left wing podcaster uh, as well. And these people are not your friends. So it is unsettling to see like the I mean, people are literally acting like Donald Trump's Twitter account being banned is like the Death Star exploding. Like they literally like the cheers and cries were similar to like we blew up the Death Star. And like, I think that really goes to show that like, out, yeah, like Trump should have been banned. Yes, it's funny. But also these companies should have never gotten this big. And that is the main issue here. Right. I mean, there's definitely like I say, I'll fuck time. There's like a disgusting degree of ahistoricity happening here. Because it's a bunch of people being like, thank God they finally banned Trump. Twitter using its function to do what it does. Twitter's been using that function to silence like leftist, particularly sex worker and non-white leftist voices on their platform for years. Right. Um, And so celebrating them flexing that power when it's someone you don't like does not discourage them from just continuing to do it to people you do like that they have. And they have been doing that and will continue to do that. And I think that's part of the conversation that people don't like want to have. Is like, yeah, they ban Trump. They also ban fucking leftist vocal, like important vocal leftists all the time. Um, And I think that people don't want to have the conversation about like how to reconcile the fact that like, yes, in this instance, it was good to ban Trump. But the pervasiveness of banability is clearly been leveraged stronger against the left than the right, historically speaking. Um, And that's the conversation people like don't want to get into because it's complicated and it's hard to it's hard to suss out. But it is true that both you can hold both thoughts in your head. That like, yeah, definitely ban Trump, obviously, and ban the fucking psycho Nazis who are encouraging violence. The fact that you can do that indicates a social vacuum that is probably a problem. Mm-hmm. I, mean, totally. I think as much as anything, it's weirdly that it's a, a it's kind of a the non vacuum, I guess. I think the 
the the difficulty is that you are damned if you do and damned if you don't right uh this kind of right wing and fascist movement has a historical tendency to they speed up when they win they speed up when they lose all you can do is offer a brick wall sooner rather than later uh so i don't think it's really like the longer question of should we kick them off the internet or not i think is kind of you're fucked either way uh and i think the bigger issue is that people are able to find with the internet connectivity we can find the 160 people who believe in whatever it is we believe in and that's like all you need if you can find a handful of people who believe in whatever bullshit you believe in there is not there's not going to be any kind of like de-radicalizing you there's not gonna be any pulling you back like that's all she wrote and it takes a it doesn't it takes such a small amount of people for this to happen i mean gamergate was like three grand people total or something and and it had huge mm-hmm. ripples across the world. So mm-hmm. the, I I think that it's as much as anything that normally what would happen is that bef- in a pre-internet time, you had to deal with the people in your life. Like there were just people around. Like if you lived in, mm-hmm. say, a small town, you just lived around these people. And if they all said, Dave, that's stupid. Like you had to go, well, I guess so. Like God damn it, Dave. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the people you hang out with is by uh, by all accounts, like the most important factor in what leads people to believe what they believe. If if you if we surround these folks with like compassionate leftists, then they will eventually read the room. But if they can just leave the room instead of reading it, they'll usually do so. And I think that's sort of the the, the crux of all this is that our connectivity lets everyone leave whatever room they want to leave and so you can't just kind of like all sit down with them and be like you know what we need to have a talk they just be like i don't want to have that talk i'm not going to have that talk i'm going somewhere else where i don't have any kind of talk at all except talk about how much adenochrome like chuck (laughs) schumer is guzzling daily Mm -hmm. yeah and which sucks because he's not sharing enough of it with us which sucks yeah that's something that we that see these are the kind of issues aging here Guys, if you want to go to the Chuck Schumer merch website to buy some adrenochrome, put in the promo code GAMEBOYS at checkout for 10% off. Um, Well, guys, you know, I think that's where we should leave uh, sort of the state of America. Again, the solution I provided in the first five minutes would have fixed everything uh, for those uh, deep state listeners considering the next move. Um, But let's talk games, guys. What's going on in the world of games? Um, I have reignited my longtime love affair with the giant JRPGs. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been finishing the Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel series, and yeah, I complained about the side quests on our Game of the Year episode because they do drive me insane because some of them are literally just fast travel to seven places and then go back to where you started and then say, okay, I went to the places. Um, and that shit sucks. But mm-hmm. playing a 400-hour fucking mega epic with like Fuck. 70 characters over the course of four games... Uh, that's 70 like important name characters, like 20 party members or something. Um, that's my, I love it, man. I forgot how much I fucking love it. I, is it 400 hours over the franchise or it's four, yeah, four, it's in about a hundred hours a game for four games. Oh, okay. Okay. So okay, it's um, like a persona. It's like a persona length JRPG. Yeah. And it's, it's four games in the series. And then there's six other games earlier in the series that I don't have but access they're connected. to. Like it's the same characters in each one in the, for the four I'm playing. Yeah. And then there's wow. three, there's two other three game series that are not available in the U S on PlayStation because of reasons. Um, hmm. and I'm lo- like, one thing I forgot about is the sort of like, like cumulative effect of playing with the same characters over and over again makes your like emotional triggers so much more sensitive than normal. Like I don't usually have many like huge emotional reactions to games, um, but I was like losing it for certain beats while I've been playing through the finale of this game. Cause it's just mm-hmm. like, man, I've seen these characters go through so much shit and endure so many things that like seeing them win or like have their like 
like arc ending confrontations like when x character mm-hmm. meets their dad or whatever it, it's more like game of thrones feeling that way right even though yeah. the last couple of seasons were a little frustrating like getting someone into their final arc or whatever yeah the, the excitement of that is like very mm-hmm. real like yeah like any like great tv show and i kind of forgot that like a good like a good hundred hour jrpg accomplishes that the way any like good single game accomplishes that which is just like drama and, and plot proportions like that the 400 hour ones do it by doing that but then also just by like pure osmosis and exposure like i've just <laughs> been around these people for so fucking long that like mm-hmm. anything that happens to them means so much to me which is like mm-hmm. a video game experience i haven't had in a while and it's been such a joy to get back into um, I'm loving it. That that's awesome. I'm forced to say that is extremely my shit. Like <laughs> I am a huge fan of the long form in general. Like, look, movies, cool, I love them. But a really good TV show that lasts for like for several seasons, it just kills me. And it's for the same reason. Like, if you actually sit down and take your time with these characters, you can build them up, and you can just like you said, just through sheer exposure, you can give enough of a shit about them. Uh, I recently, I. I I recently played through all three Shining Force 3 scenarios. Very similar experience, right? You have this like one big story that goes through three games. And by the end of it, you're like, yeah, yeah, it's all happening. It's all happening. Look, all my guys are stronger and we're going to defeat X, Y, and Z. Uh, It's so enjoyable to just like sit down with a world and the characters for such a long period of time and just like simmer in it. I'm a huge fan of simmering in media (laughs) in general. Yeah. Mm. I mean, yeah, if, I mean, because uh, like, I mean, in a similar vein on your recognition, uh, on your recommendation, I've been watching the the Clone Wars series um, of of shows and like that based on the best part of the Star Wars series. Right. Yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, now, at this point, yeah, not a joke. Um, definitely the most culturally interesting part. Um, yeah. And the the show fucking rules. And one of the things the show does that's so impressive. I'm only like part with the first season, but like it's still like what, like eight hours of show or something. Um, is that like you start to care about individual clones just because you keep hanging out with the same clones over and over again. So there are clones with names who do things and you're like, oh, my God, it's five. It's my favorite clone. <laughs> and it's the same sort of thing where it's like just this pure exposure and spending time with stuff makes it so cool. We were talking about side characters in Cyberpunk versus Ghost of Tsushima and Cyberpunk does a really good job of like both packing a lot of stuff for side characters and giving you a lot of reasons to talk to them over and over again the way Ghost of Tsushima doesn't. And so does this mm-hmm. game. Like, this game gives you, like, reasons to talk to people, and everyone has, like, detailed inner lives. And so even though they're like, oh, I don't need another 10-minute cutscene about fishing, the fact that the fishing guy cares so fucking much about fishing is, like, a meaningful character beat that then later right. in the game when they're like, this war has made it impossible to go fishing, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I can't believe, what is this doing to <laughs> Kenneth? Like, Kenneth must be losing his damn mind. Like, it's mm-hmm. like a real experience in a way that I don't think I, I don't, that I don't get with a lot of shorter games. Um, yeah. It's the same thing that's so successful in TV shows, right? That, like, you can have an episode that's, like, a Doug episode or, like, a Linda episode or whatever. And it's, like, and these RPGs have enough... There's just enough meat on that bone that you can sit around with these characters. Like, you have the side quests where you're just like, oh, I found out where, like, Murgulis has come from. And, like, this is what their, what their whole deal is. And it, it lets you humanize them in such a way that, you're right, you do get to care about them. And you can care about the little nitty-gritty of this world in a way that, like, a lot of these other other shorter and more like epic games and stories it's easy to gloss over them like you don't really care about the fact that like when the meteor hit it like crashed some guy's shop because 3,000 shops were crashed but if the game has enough 
time in it if it has enough like gameplay runway you can learn how like what's going on in that shop and like why you should care about each individual person and you can come to a relationship with a larger world by way of small individual tactile like human elements that connect yeah. to it and i yeah. think yeah. that's kind of like a rhetorical a storytelling velcro that is like that is sorely missed by me and so many other like slicker faster like yeah. games and media i can give you an incredible example of that happening in these games which is that in the middle of this fourth game i mentioned before there are two other series in this series that i can't play because one's only available in japan the other one's only on the ps vita so i haven't played those but there's like important characters who like are in the background of these other four games the whole time in the fourth game there's a part where those guys show up and you do a mission like with all the characters in the other series who i'd never seen before but i was so hyped when they showed up because <laughs> mm-hmm. all these characters like give a shit about him and talking about how cool they were and how influential they were for three games in a row. And so no one's like, Oh, Lloyd Bannings and Joshua Bright are here. And what they brought Elise and Renee, my God. And it was like, it's the widest names I've ever met. Yeah. Oh, well, this game is uh, to, to be fair. The, the trails of the legend of heroes games are all that classic Japanese. Like what if it's Japan, but it's Germany setting. Yeah. Um, no, what is yeah, up with that? It's a, that's happening in Attack on Titan right now it's too, super and, I, and I'm just I'm trying to. Uh, they're still working out World War II. I guess they still are. Yeah, I mean, lots of people are. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, America to be fair, is. We all are. Uh, America <laughs> certainly isn't in a really weird way. <laughs> well, to your point, Lux, about meeting characters and stuff like that um, in the JRPG form. One of my favorites is Golden Sun mm. because um, in Golden Sun One, you play this cast of heroes. You put a lot of hours into it, and you're going up against these villains. Golden Sun 2 puts you in the shoes of the villains of Golden Sun 1 and then in Golden Sun 2 you end up eventually fighting the heroes of the first one and there is all of this emotional stakes to that because you spent so much time with all of these characters that are now going up against each other that you're sometimes you're not even sure whose side you're on and that was like one of the most powerful stories and I think in a larger sense this focus on character allows JRPGs to get away with being shitty in other ways like the fact that you wasted a bunch of time in side quests was forgivable because you still care about the characters in the game in the same way that I forgive so many of the things in cyberpunk because I really care about a lot of the side characters in the games. Um, and, and it had me thinking, hearing the way you guys are talking about this, uh, I've been playing through Assassin's Creed Valhalla, um, when, you know, new game, um, And, um, you know, there is really powerful storytelling moments, but the game doesn't develop the squad of characters that we get to stay with for a long enough time. It's really just the main character traveling to different areas of the map, meeting an ensemble of characters in each one, and then you kind of forget about them and you never meet them again. And and, and I think this idea of like a wolf pack or a party or a squad is really, really important to to make you invest uh, 120 hours into a story because I'm finding when it's just the main character, just meeting different ensembles that never mix or interact, it starts to just feel very, very like repetitive. Um, And then JRPGs strike a much better balance because they give you a party, they give you the side characters you care about, and you get to stick with them for much longer. Right. And now, especially in this climactic part of the game, every single character in my party has like emotional connections to various villains. And so like every time there's a fight, I make sure that like, you know, like, oh, we have to go fight Fee's secret dad. We have to bring Fee with us so she can fight her secret dad. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and that kind of emotionalism makes those fights higher stakes, which is the other thing I had missed about these games, which is that, my God, the giant super long if you fuck up once JRPG bosses 
I love it. And it's extra oh, no. it's extra fun and extra high stakes for me because I smoke too much weed and forget to save a lot and never oh, no. know when I last saved. So I go into these fights often forgetting to save beforehand and it's like a guy and he's got 600,000 hit points and he like and I'm like, well, if I fuck this up a little bit, I might lose three hours of progress. I have no idea. Let's do it. And I love that shit. It is Drink so them Russians, baby. <laughs> yeah, you but, should play Rust with us then. You lose you lose all your progress like every day. Right, the thing I like <laughs> isn't the losing the progress. It's the tension of having like an hour long boss fight where those are the stakes. Um, yeah, for sure. That's what I mm-hmm. love. And so it's like like this game is is. I know a JRPG is hitting right where if I'm in the middle of a boss fight, I have to get up, walk out of the house, smoke a cigarette, come back in and continue (laughs) the boss fight. Like if that's the situation, the game is fucking hitting exactly right. And like, that's where I'm at is where it's like more sig breaks, please guys. Well, I just get so fucking stressed. And when that's stressed, then if I'm that Mm -hmm. stressed, then when I win, it's like we talked about with Sekiro a bunch. Like when I win, when I'm that stressed, I lose my fucking mind. I get Mm -hmm. so excited and so happy about it. And yeah, I think that yeah, that's like, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned Sekiro because I'm about to start my second playthrough that game. And I was going to ask Forrest, are you a Souls uh, player? Oh, oh, my heavens. No, uh, <laughs> I respect the Souls games. They seem great by all accounts. But like there is a particular part of gaming that I don't really have access to for whatever reason, which is the like becoming better at things part. <laughs> I <laughs> mm. I just like don't I'm just not good at shit like I, I can't like like I've played fighting games against like real good fighting game players and stuff I cannot get to that level I don't have the acuity and speed to do it this is why I play turn based games and tactics games because it lets me do homework to win I love to do homework to win but like I'm not going to get there with souls and I get it I understand like mastery of something is extremely fun and like I see the draw but like it's just not it's not the thing that's going to draw me like I, like I play I played through Star Wars souls and it was fine enough of but like it's just right. not really my uh it's not really my zone so uh mm-hmm. respect totally. but yeah well the reason i ask is because i i just finished demon souls for the ps5 which is basically the only reason to buy a ps5 every other game is available everywhere else it is basically a demon souls machine and now it is just like a 500 hundred dollar piece of plastic on my desk for like six months until something new comes out uh which is uh interesting but like most consoles that's actually usually how how it goes for the first year um but i ended up really disliking demon souls um i am a huge fan of all the souls games and and i I do understand this is the first one they ever made so it is it is a rough blueprint of like where they go in the future with the series which i really love but like i was streaming it and i was like literally like rage quitting on my streams like embarrassing myself in front of my audience uh not because the bosses are hard the bosses are incredibly easy in the game it's these fucking level designs like the the level design in demon souls is much different than the than the other games maybe because it's earlier and technology wasn't didn't allow them to do this but it's just like these like skinny one person hallways that you run down with like a guy at the other end that just has like a one shot kill mechanic and there's just like it's just all of that for like 25 hours just hallways 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 and one shot guys in every single one of them and it was just so fucking frustrating yeah to me i mean i have some played it because i still haven't gotten the ps5 um Although both Forrest and I are doing some refreshing and tracking to try and get our hands on them soon. Uh, like, wait, like t- right now on the uh, podcast? I'm not. Always, Forrest, always. Forrest might be. 
I have, um, I have well, alerts set up. I'm hunting the notorious monster here. As in many if, cases. If, if you get it on the doing... pod, that would be awesome. But Forrest, why, why do you need a PS5 if you're not a Souls player? Because I will tell you, there's nothing on this console yet. Because, baby, I got a 4K TV and I want to play all my games at 60 FPS on my 40K TV. Or 4K, that's what I like. I there are a lot of games that look, I got a PS Pro because I wanted better performance. Like, I don't do that bit with with PCs, but I do it with consoles. I want to mm-hmm. be able to play every PS4 game at fucking glorious resolution and incredible speed, because the thing where you have to pick whether you want performance or, or visuals, I'm done with that. And by all accounts, <laughs> the PS5 is just it makes all your old games run as though like god is shitting them out personally yeah i'm sorry to break it to you but you're not done with the performance versus uh versus speed uh or whatever versus graphics uh that is also on the ps5 yeah Um, but i'll get more of both yeah you will you will get more both and i will say like one thing i didn't i didn't really think about was like oh i can play replay some of my ps4 games in 4k for the first time like seeing sekiro in 4k is is very cool and i don't think all ps4 games go to 4k i really do think it's a select few like your god of wars and stuff like that um but yeah that is a really cool feature um of it but still even on these brand new ps5 games Oftentimes, the advertised quality is actually not what it really is. Um, you know, like, for instance, in the in the Miles Morales Spider-Man game, you can play it at 4K 60 hertz, um, but they're not going to give you ray tracing. They're not going to give you highest graphic settings. Uh, you can choose then to do it with like ray tracing and high graphics, but they're playing it at like 30. And so I do wonder, like, when are these games that can do PS5 4K 120 hertz at like full graphics? Like, are we a year out from that? Is that always going to be something that is more optional and only certain games will ever do that? I, I don't know. It's I'm starting to be a little let down by it. Well, I think Maybe that's that's a treadmill, man. That's a treadmill. Mm-hmm. Everyone's always going to develop games to like to be at the edge of the uh, of the functionality of the hardware. And over time, they'll get better at like pull, at like squeezing juice out of that lemon. But uh, I don't know. It's always there's if you're not if you're not at that like part where you're having to prioritize like what performance you're getting out of it, then you're just not getting that much performance out of it. Right. So I don't think that's ever going to end no matter how much hardware we get. Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said like that would be somewhat optional and some games have it, some games don't. I think that's just always going to be true. It's always going to be the games that can dump in a bunch of money in development and like like design and rendering shit that are going to have the ability to put those games out. And they're going to be indie companies that can't spend that kind of money or small, big budget projects. that can't spend that kind of money. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I think while rendering technology is advanced, I don't think rendering technology, rendering stuff out technology has advanced so much as rendering stuff on the machine technology has, if that makes sense that Mm -hmm. like, it's not that much easier to put out a 4k game than it was before, but is much easier to display a 4k game than it was before. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that means that, like you said, I think that there's going to be a lot of 4K games that come out eventually, but I also think that we're never going to have a thing where all the games do that. So how's the hunt going, guys? What's what's happening? Uh, you know, I've obviously not had to be on the hunt for about a month now. Shouts out to Char Char. Nice. Shouts I, out to Char Char Biffin. I, I want. All right. I want you to think very carefully about what answer you want to this question, because I can give you a very real answer, but I cannot guarantee you it'll be interesting to literally anyone anywhere. It's barely interesting to me. Well, we, well, you can make it short then. Yeah, right. We also did a whole episode about how Griffin couldn't get the <laughs> PS5. So like. uh, they're doing surprisingly few stock drops, given how much stock apparently they are producing. So uh, currently frustrating. 
Mm, yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, we, we heard that January, February was going to be a big new flush of stock, but I do not really see that many posts of stock drops recently anymore. Again, I'm not looking that much anymore, so I don't really see everyone, but yeah, it does seem, it does seem light for the start of the year folks. Um, but I also have been seeing stories of scalpers, um, really not, I mean, starting to not buy any because they just have too many and can't get rid of them. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, I've I've seen that happen on like Twitter because I keep up with this stuff on Twitter for my own interests, and and scalper guys are increasingly being like, prices are dropping, which they are by the way. Like I've been keeping tabs on the prices. Before Christmas, they were like twelve hundred to fifteen hundred for uh, like a disc PS Five, and now they're like eight hundred regularly. That's pretty much the average right now, uh, and it's just going to keep dropping because guess what, guys? People really wanted them before Christmas, and now the pressure is off. And also, it's mm-hmm. kind of an inelastic market, right? It's not like there are new people who are like, you know what? I wasn't going to spend twelve hundred bucks on a PS4, but or a PS5, but I think now I will. You know, like yeah. people are going to get exactly one PS5, and that's it. And everyone has their own like price point they're going to stick to. So uh, these are guys who are used to doing this for sneakers where there was like one big drop and one big deadline and everyone who wanted the sneakers wanted them today. But this is like a long term thing. So it is petering out. It's it was always going to peter out like they keep producing more of it and the demand's not going to go up. So the, those curves are going to meet eventually. So, yes, a lot of them have been frustrated to be like, the prices are not high enough. I'm only making like two or three hundred bucks off a console. What's going on, y'all? This stinks. If, if a scalper is trying to like sell PS5 at a loss, I will bu- I'll buy it from him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> help, help him out, dude. <laughs> I think it'd be really fun. I think it'd be fun to do. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, uh, one, 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 one last thing to tantalize you guys and make you guys drool about your eventual PS5s is I did check out uh, Astro's Playroom, which is the built-in PS5 game. Oh, yeah, I'm excited uh, about that. And basically, the game takes place inside the PS5. I've heard that uh, owns. It, it, it really owns um, cool. all it's a it, it's a simple platformer. You get sucked inside the PS5 and all the levels are in different parts of your PS5. And there's all these little like kind of like tributes and memorials to like the PlayStation, uh, you know, just lifetime, uh, you know, different weird uh, like P- PlayStation add ons like the PS gun and stuff or like things you collect <laughs> in the game. Um, and uh, but aside from just like all the sort of PS sort of gamer lore, um it shows off the this controller in a way that no other game has. Like, I know I have talked on the podcast before about how it's really cool, how in like Demon Souls, you swing your sword a certain way and you can kind of feel it. But like Astro's like really is takes advantage of the entire, it's like a tech demo for the vibrations. And like the amount of vibrations I am feeling on this controller is unreal. Like there's like crunchy vibrations and there's like hollow and there's thick and thin vibrations. And, and you feel the little feet pitter and patter on the ground and you know I don't know if like games should do all of these because it might be a little distracting if uh, but like the amount of like immersion that that it brought me into just like crunching your feet on the sand in a beach and then and then kicking your feet through the water like it it, it was so much more immersive than like any kind of vibrating controller before this uh, and I'm really curious to see like will it just be 
like PlayStation first party titles that really take advantage of it uh, because I, I can see it being a thing where it's probably for these like more third party developers, like really expensive to like develop a team to like code vibrations into every part of their game, especially if they're releasing on a bunch of other platforms that don't have that controller. Uh, so it's like a really, really cool feature. But like, I wonder, will we see this thing long term? Yeah, I'm I'm inclined to think that it's sort of what you just described, this idea that we'll see it in big PlayStation games and PlayStation exclusive things, but we're not going to see a lot of it in, in sort of broader release games. Cause like you said, what's the fucking point? Like, are you really going to spend the extra bajillion dollars and extra man hours to code vibration things that are only in one iteration of the game and not, yeah. you know, the other three or whatever. I think that's something we're not, but it seems unlikely unless because we don't know how like vibrations talk to the controller. And so it's not inconceivable that like the PlayStation one has more to do with how the controller expresses commands that are pretty standard versus it having specific commands in that way um, that we're talking about. And so we don't know, but I imagine because of how different it is, it does have specific commands that would mean like a totally separate workflow from like regular controller stuff. Um, That's my thought. That's what I think about it. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh yeah. Well, uh what else? what 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 else? What else guys? Is there anything what else? else? We're, we're at, oh, okay. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Forrest, uh are you an anime guy? He, I'm going to cautiously say yes. Yeah, That's no, fine. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It would be wrong to say no. I'll say it. Mm-hmm. This is how I would put it. Okay. So, uh Attack on Titan? I watched a little bit of it. It's not really my you cup watched of tea. A little bit of it. That's fine. That's not what I'm trying. I'm not trying to sell you on it. What I am trying to say is that for years, people who have not read the manga or watched the show have claimed from a series of posts that it's like fascist, like pro-fascist and anti-Semitic. And like this season has like finally stamped all that stuff to and like put all that fucking bullshit to bed. And it feels so good because it's just like. I need Lux to watch the show, though, so that yeah. we can have a, a Jewish person confirm. Um, but like, my God, uh, it's really annoying when I see people who don't engage with like material to like just immediately judge it right from the beginning. It reminds me a lot of like the cuties, like Netflix film discourse where like everyone has a take on cuties, but no one has seen it. Um, and, and I just like wish that like people would engage with stuff before doing a take on it. Um, which is funny because I started this episode by shitting on Borderlands three, which I did not well, play. This actually is um, very funny. Cause what you're saying mirrors a conversation for us and I were having right before you jumped on the call. Yeah. Literally seconds. Like, yeah, like seconds, which is that there's this thing now where everyone needs to go through like an ideological frame before engaging with the aesthetics or facts of a given piece of media, whether that's news or movie or TV show or whatever. Like the first question people ask about shit all the time these days isn't, is it good? It's, is it progressive? Is it conservative? What's the political leanings of the show? Is it woke? And all that shit matters and is relevant, but it's not, you can't know that by just looking at a show. You have to watch the thing to make that assessment. And a lot of people just make that assessment before they watch the thing and then throw things in the garbage or not. And in some cases, that's fine. Like there are shows that are like by Nazis or whatever to watch this. But like in the most for the most part, there's a, a real lack of aesthetic evaluation, sort of a knee jerk. Yes, no politics question being asked that is not good for sort of intellectual aesthetic work, which is sort of what you're asking people to try and do with Attack on Titan. Mm-hmm. And there's also this reaction to aesthetics in the sense of like 
if I see something represented, it that that is an implicit endorsement. So yeah, like there is there is like the show is about fascism. There are people wearing fascist clothing. That doesn't mean that it's an endorsement of fascism. Like we should be able to have art that explores like the dangers of how fascism can like split and separate us. And I'm sorry, like we do have to like we do have to we have to showcase fascism in order to critique it in a show. You can't like you can't talk about he who must be not be named he he who must not be named and never see him and then have it be a like a, a stinging fucking rebuke of of him. Like you have to see the bad thing, and I think that some people who don't watch the show see the bad stuff and they're like, oh, this show must love fascism. They got outfits and everything. It's just like they're doing internment camps and stuff. It's like, well, no, like is you know like did did steven spielberg's uh schindler list endorse fascism by showing you know the stuff that they showed in that movie like no like it's not an endorsement and i think that's the frustrating thing i see from a lot of the takesters online when it comes not just to like attack on Thailand but anything right i mean i'll say this as someone who is whose job is to help put out sort of takes and analysis stuff online um we watch crack i love because people are really rigorous about doing the analysis and watching all the shows and reading all the stuff there are definitely other places where i've worked or contributed or talked to people that aren't like that where people are writing tv reviews without watching the whole series where they like watch the first three episodes or whatever um and that's like a very real thing because there's such a demand for content about content there's like people want reactions to the shit they just watched so fast that people don't have time to actually watch the shit and write it in time before the next thing happens. And so some shit is coming out with not the amount of rigor attached to it that's necessary because of the demand of this like content economy. Um, I like, I like working at Wisecrack because for instance, we have a video that's we've delayed because we couldn't get it good enough on time. That's good. That's what people should do. But not every website is like that. And that demand is sort of what re- is what sort of economically justifies the thing that you're talking about, Griffin, which is this like immediate reaction sans like actual analytical work happening. And that's bad. Don't do it. If you're going to write a review, watch the thing. That's my take. I have, I have a lot of feelings about this. Uh, I'm like formally trained in media analysis and I also feel very frustrated by like a thing that you brought up in particular, Griffin, which is the idea that many people seem to have that all media is merely propaganda and like the strong media effect of monkey see monkey do is the only media effect. Like the only thing anyone will take away from something is that they should do whatever the people on screen did. And that is it. That is the only media analysis there is. Uh, that's clearly insufficient. It's, it, people tend to take away whatever they want to take away. It's all extremely complicated. And that's the most important thing to remember is that like, like, there's a lot of different shit going on, and there are different ways you can read a piece. There are different, like a lot of a lot of the attributing things, to like oh the guy the, the the person that made this believes X or Y, so therefore the thing is bad. Like, well, let's examine that. Like, perhaps it is, perhaps it isn't. Like, what to bring it back to anime? One of the thing, one of my favorite animes in the last few years uh, was a recovery of an online game at Netaju. Very good, very sweet, very like heartfelt anime based on like a very warm manga written by a, a lovely lady who has uh, in in poor health. That's why there's not more of it. The director of the anime is like an avowed white supremacist in Japan. Like as it turns out, he's just like a fucking fash. And oh well, uh, like the you would never know it from watching it. You could not possibly know it from watching it. It's like it is just completely about like a few people being nice to each other. But like right. that's. 
that's where the world is at. Like, I think that a lot of attributing this stuff gives too much power to the author. And I think that's a mistake when it comes to, to, to analyzing media that like there are many different avenues and authorial intent and authorial power is only one vector from which you can approach these. Yeah. And art isn't always supposed to be comfortable either or, or signaling exactly to like the, the good guys with the right beliefs. Like art should feel complicated and it shouldn't feel all that. It, like not all art needs to be easy or, or immediately understandable. Um, right. And I think that the ways that we need to like to check if this is like good art or, or like, or, or dangerous art, um, people are really just looking for like a quick uh, glossary on how to say yes or no to stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll I've two quick things on this one is to what you just said griffin so in i think it's 1941 maybe nordau wrote this essay called on degenerate art and it was basically like the nazi guide to what makes good art and it was very specific and it had very clear rules about like good art talks about these things and things look this way and this is the kind of subjects they're about and everything else is bad art um like he was like good art shows like the classic Nordic human and the style of the Greek nobles being noble and powerful and whatever. And that's what good art is. And that's such a simplistic view of what art is and can do. And it's distressing to see a similar but inverted version of that coming out now where it's like good art is about X, Y, Z and it looks like ABC, even if it's a totally different, a totally different and largely better set of variables. It's still problematic to simplify anything down to like that kind of framework. Um, and then what you said, Forrest, I'll double down on this fucking like. Yukio Mishima is like maybe the best writer to ever live. And he's a mega fascist. He's such a fascist that he took a sword and tried to lead a military coup and then committed seppuku when it didn't work. Um, that's our dude. And like, that doesn't make his, yeah, every, <laughs> that's our dude. Everyone, that's our dude. But everyone, yeah, well, because when you say everyone should still read his shit, his shit's incredible. And like, even there are parts of his books that are about like why being a fascist is maybe cool, but that doesn't make the books bad. They're still like incredible looks at masculinity and humanity and beauty and art and all this other shit. Like he's still an incredible novelist. He's just also a bad man. And you should be able to, as like someone who's thinks they're qualified to do criticism Hold the idea in your head that a book can be good and the man can be bad. Um, mm -hmm. And like, I think that people don't do that. And I think that there's a degree to which like, yeah, using it as like an economic neoliberal choice of like, hey, I'm not going to give money to people who believe in things I think are bad. That's fine. That's different than saying the art is bad. There's a distinction between those two things. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, it's like literally like I've asked every single person on the Internet who's ever argued with me about cuties. Have you seen the movie? And no one has. And I think it's striking. It really is. Um, so we need to we need to sort of encourage art and we need to uh, sort of protect more complicated art. And uh, when parlors back up in a couple of days, that's what exactly <laughs> what I intend to do. Um, speaking of speaking of Internet, by the way, um, I said something nice about Glenn Greenwald earlier. So I just want to quickly uh, uh, get a shot in because I just saw one of my desktop alerts where Glenn Greenwald tweeted, do you know how many people arrested in connection with the capital invasion were active uses of parlor? Zero. The planning was largely not on Facebook. This is all a bullshit pretext for silencing competitors on ideological grounds. Uh, Chaser, uh, parlor users breached deep inside the capital as shown by GPS data of over 70,000 examples of tags from joint from Doink NB. Like this is this is why this is why Greenwald drives me insane. It's because Greenwald. No, this is just the danger of Adderall. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, like that's all this is. Like he's he's just right. He just shouldn't. He just typed zero because he's tweaking. No, this is, he's not wrong. There's seventy thousand pings. Zero is a lot less than seventy thousand. And meaning, I know it's crazy. Yeah, that's like wild for him to say. But obviously, yeah, he's just on one this, this morning. This is, but this is my thing with him is that like <laughs> he 
demands a degree of journalistic and intellectual rigor at all times that he doesn't always mm-hmm. do and that he doesn't do yeah. particularly when it's in service of a very specific set of weird goals he has. Where did the zero come from? He's crazy. He's because because it because his his operative theory is that like Facebook and Twitter want to dominate all media, which is true. He's not wrong about that. But not mm-hmm. every single thing that happens has to play into that framework. Um, to me, he's a to me he's messy, and he's kind of like one of our attack dogs, and that's what I love about him. Uh, you know, they're not all going to be perfect. Um, he's certainly more of a friend to us than anyone than the majority of the Democratic Party. For for now, I just I think that there's for now I'll say that I think that he his sort of hyper uh, absolutism on a lot of sort of questions of regulation is one that actually is substantially anti-left, but that's okay. Um, I reserve the right not doing that. I reserve the right not to have a particular opinion about Glenn Greenwald and to find him dull. Incredible. Yeah, that's beautiful. A, that's the, hero, that's the incredible. hero's choice for sure. <laughs> the, it is, that is the hero's choice. And then listen, we've heard of crazy cat lady, but Glenn has over 40 dogs. So maybe invention of what? crazy dog guy. That's too much dogs. How can you have that many dogs? It strains the he bounds a, of the word he, have. He, Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. Well, he rescues does. most of them. Uh, but yeah, crazy dog guy, maybe. Maybe he's that's maybe the dog dander. Pack. Yeah, maybe the dog. Yeah, he's running. He's running a, yeah, a wolf pack out of Brazil. Um, and, you know, I mean, literally, I guess that's why I think of him as sort of uh, an attack dog. He He's leading a bunch of hounds um, that will eventually uh, move north. Because he's and, uh, becoming literally a dog through osmosis. Which is, which is yeah. in fact, the opposite of what happened before. Dogs initially came over to Lambridge and invaded the Americas and uh, including South mm-hmm. America and uh, pushed out the, the, the more native cats, if I remember correctly. I might have got that backwards. Mm-hmm. If I'm wrong, uh, hit me up and uh, scream at me because I want to be correct about this. But uh, well, yeah, he's he's doing of, like anti-evolutionary processes here, which is cool. I love that. Speaking mm, of yeah. uh, uh, hitting Forrest up and screaming at him, uh, Forrest, what do you have to plug? Where can people find you? What what are they? What should they be looking for? Ooh, okay. Uh, first off, hit me up at, at do nots on Twitter. D u n o t s. I talk about various things, including how much basketball sucks and how much everything else sucks, but also how my <laughs> how some things are good too. Uh, I have a couple of podcasts. I have Crystal Catalog, which is a Final Fantasy podcast, which is coming back very soon. We took a hiatus because the world was punishing. Uh, I have we have also another podcast called They're All Ansom, which is technically about Kingdom Hearts. Both of y'all have been on it so if y'all like this podcast i hopefully you'll enjoy that uh it's at crystal or at they're all ansom uh new episode coming out soon i'll of course promote that when it does uh what else i think i think that's it for now because i haven't done any basketball podcasts in a while because basketball fucking sucks (laughs) yeah it's great right now they they use different balls now or change the rules what happened uh everyone 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 got covid Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. You'll love this, actually, Griffin. Uh, there are very strict NBA rules about hanging out after the games, but zero regulation about contact during the games. And so there are people who are like, oh, Jason they're Tatum. Get, they're getting laid during the games. Like Jason Tatum <laughs> and Bradley Beal were talking after the game, so they're out for 10 days. But also, 
seven people guarded Jason Tatum much closer mm-hmm. than Bradley Beal ever got, and none of them are getting contact traced because <laughs> it happened during a basketball game. Yeah, they, uh, the previous season, they ended the season with like a thing called the bubble where they took like super precautions and stuck everybody in like a little sterile environment, and it worked really well, but then all the players f- and all the people involved fucking hated it because it would be objectively miserable to have to hang out in Disneyland for six weeks and not be able to do... It was like, it was like three months and yeah, not be able to anybody yeah so they i think that's what we should do with our politicians is we should like (laughs) move them them from the capital and put them into the middle of disney world and then see if they still want the job yeah i I mean it's i agree make the job miserable yeah it it should be more miserable make it it should be bad only if you really want to do it oh because yeah you'd fucking the the fucking bubble shit griffin you would have fucking loved it like there was before the season started agents were like Owners were like, some people think they should play in a bubble, but entire teams of NBA players were like, we won't play basketball this year if we have to go back in a fucking bubble. Um, Right. Yeah. And I think that's the attitude that we're going to be moving into in 2021 is, well, nothing got fixed and nothing is going to get fixed quick enough. So fuck it. Let's just go back out and roll the dice if you're over 50 years old. Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully not. Um, as far as me, uh, I have a new podcast coming soon. I'll plug that in more in depth once it's ready. Uh, we'll probably have my co-host on this show eventually to to plug it. Um, otherwise, PWR guidance, more are coming. Stay tuned for that. Follow PWR online at Party Death Cult, cult spelled KVLT. Um, also, other cool PWR announcement. Still not allowed to make it, but it's coming, baby. Uh, mm-hmm. Griffin, what about you? Oh, make sure to check out Haley's stuff uh, at Eat Every Sound. And uh, what was the other one? It's at Eat Every Sound on YouTube and Instagram. Or check out mm-hmm. the Memory Static podcast where she is a regular Memory contributor. Static, yeah. And then, um, you know, on my end, guys, if you agree with me on my takes on this podcast, but disagree with Lux, go on twitch.tv slash Room and let me know like you've been doing. I really enjoy when some of you guys come in and say, hey, Lux was super wrong on that one. Or, oh, you totally just you totally fact logic and reason Lux out of that one. <laughs> He's backtracking. I only um, believe that that happens because, boy, are people on Twitch pretty dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're in my arena now. But yeah, keep doing that, guys. We're, we're on uh, 6 p.m. Pacific time, seven nights yeah, a week. I'm just See kidding. The chim room crowd rules and everyone should watch it. One guy did seriously come in and try to reiterate an argument me and you had. <laughs> it was very funny. Oh, we're, getting the, we're getting the Game Boys fans in there now. Yeah, hell yeah. Well, check out chim room. I'm going to try and be on it more often uh, because I haven't been on for that regularly a couple months because of some life stuff. But hopefully that'll stop soon. Not my life, just the particular stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for us coming on, and goodbye, everyone. Peace. Ding.